Well, I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. As we've now been really reflecting upon this text for our evening. Uh, this chapter, I think, uh, as we have begun our service, you kind of notice there's, there, there's, there's hope, there's, there's tension, there's concern. But in the midst of this, it's a very wonderful text. Um, and what we're going to focus on is a single verse, a single verse during our time this evening where we find this just very amazing and profound truth about the Savior. Now, you've probably seen this verse that we'll look at uh, really circle around uh, social media. You've probably seen it quoted on the front of Christmas cards and mugs, but this verse is actually very profound. It's a very joyous announcement during a very dark and hopeless time for God's people. See, if we seek to understand what is being said in this chapter, we find that the northern kingdom of Israel had turned against her sister to the south, Judah. And Judah was left alone with diminishing hope, very little anticipation or expectation of survival. And so Israel was not in a good place. And so imagine the, the country you once cherished is now divided it's broken. It's overrun by corrupt leadership. It's exposed to very dangerous international powers, and literally, it's on the brink of collapse. I mean, imagine the best of your leaders are crippled by poor character. They're crippled by indecision, unwise alliances. I mean, even there's this feeling, as I describe this text, that the overall longing and question for Israel must have really been, is there even hope? Is there something better? Is there someone better in the midst of all of this? See, some of us don't even have to use our imaginations too much because this sounds very familiar to us. Maybe, in fact, for you, you feel this sense of brokenness. Maybe for you tonight, you came and you feel this, this longing for hope, but a, but a great lack of it. I think some of us may even be here tonight still trying to figure out what the reason for the season really is. And if so, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here tonight. Because for the Christian, for the believer, tonight is a reminder not only of what came, but who came. And so we may find it obvious for Christ to be the reason for Christmas, but do we actually understand his birth? Do we really understand his character and what it means for us as believers tonight? See, in this text, we find an incredible example and prophecy of great need and great promise. See, when Isaiah the prophet spoke the words of this text, the people of Israel had gone through a very dark and difficult time. In fact, because of their sin and rebellion, God allowed the mighty kingdom of Assyria to come against the northern kingdom of Israel and totally devastate it. In fact, the northern kingdom ceased to be a country, and many people lost their homes, and many people lost their lives. But even in God's wrath... 
God remembers his mercy. We reflect on that tonight, even in the text, that even in wrath, God remembers his mercy. Now, some may find this strange, since tonight is a focus on good news, right? Tonight is a, is a focus on celebration, and I do promise you this is not a bait and switch to talk about the bad news, but knowing what the bad news is actually helps us understand how profound the good news really is. And so as we examine this text, a prophecy is given from God to his people. He speaks with hope about a child born into a world without hope. A savior whose character and authority far outweighs the corrupt character and authority of all others. And actually, he shows that this child to come is the true savior. He's not like those who have been looked at as saviors before and failed. This is the true savior, Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we examine this together And my hope is that as we examine this, we would see why Jesus Christ is the real reason for the season. That we would be moved and awed by his mighty and divine character. That we may come to not only look upon him tonight, but really behold him as Lord and Savior. And so go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'll read verse 6 of Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now there is something incredible in these words of God written down by the prophet. In fact, in the first part of the very first sentence, the prophet tells us Not only how, but to whom the Savior is given. And so we need to understand this is very personal. This child is born to us. And this son is given to us. I think we have such a backwards and almost drunken view of ourselves that this seems difficult to look at rightly. I mean, just considering what Christmas tends to look like in America, we can see this how backwards our view is. I mean, Christmas shopping is one of the biggest holidays where people are spending over $1 trillion in the United States. And so from decorations to presents to parties to cards, the focus at Christmas is often given over to what makes me happy? What fills what I want? But see, both those are not the gifts that have been given to us. That's not the important gift that's been given to us as a remedy for our deepest need. That's just stuff that's distracting. And so this is why we struggle to really look upon ourselves in this this time and even this text soberly. But I think when we do, when we understand what the real need is, we find the greatest and most undeserving gift given to us. See, the intimate structure of these words in the original language is absolutely beautiful because they show what is promised to us and what is true of our God's redemptive work. 
In fact, in fact, it acknowledges Israel and all those who are later called the children of God. And so this is a prophetic promise that rings all throughout history and time. And so it really should move us who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ to really then say, this child is born to us. This son is given to us. See, even as Luther put it, he said, Christ didn't need these works. He would have remained a Lord quite well without them. Rather, his conception and birth, his suffering and death, his ascension and sitting at the right hand are all for our benefit. They belong to us. And so note that well. See, in making this statement, Luther draws our attention to something important in the text. It's that it is only because Jesus willingly as a servant became like us that we can become like him and say in faith, this child is born to us and this son is given to us. And so notice how we find this further in this, in this text when the prophet Isaiah says, this child is born, this son is given See, by the child being born, we are shown that he will become like us. He will become human and flesh. And so he became like us, but he is not of us. See, it's amazing that the prophet tells us in the very same breath that Christ is the child who is born and the son that is given, and yet he is also a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. I mean, how incredible is it that in these words we find the profound truth that he is fully human, he is child, he is born, and he is fully God. He is Counselor, God, Father, and Prince. See, by this we are shown that he is not like us in a very incredible way. That he will come from God. He will be given as a gift from the Father. That he is God in the flesh revealed. And so as he comes, he will step up and restore God's people. He will come into our space. And it's a promise which is given to those in the text and to us today. In fact, this is why Isaiah continues by saying, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now in a divided and oppressive land that is defeated, this is a profound point. Remember, this promise is given to those who are defeated already. So when corrupt government is putting weight upon the shoulders of God's people and they are suffering under wicked leaders, God reminds them the government shall be upon his shoulders, the Savior's shoulders. See, this shows how the rule of Christ differs from the kingdom of this world. See, all secular governments lead upon their subjects to carry out their decrees. So it's on the shoulders of other people. And and really we acknowledge this is both with good authorities and even wicked authorities. Humans rely on humans, but not with the Lord. 
Because he says that the government shall be upon his shoulders. See, the rule of the son who was born to us works the other way around. He carries us. He does not rely upon us. He relies upon himself. So we rest on his shoulders. He is our bearer. So do you see how Isaiah turns everything around? He turns it around contrary to the customs of the world. And so where is Christ's rule even? Where is his land and, and, and where and who are his people? I mean, if someone were to ask you this evening, where is Christ's rule? I think many people would come up with many different answers. Is it in Jerusalem? Is it overseas? Is it, little, is it here in little town of Cedar Woolley? And the answer to that is yes, of course. Briefly put, it is on his shoulders. He rules and he reigns. And so understand, only those who are Christians are on his shoulders. It is only those who firmly trust him and allow themselves to be carried by him like the lost sheep that are on his shoulders. Understand, all are under his authority, but only those who are his are on his shoulders. I mean, to sum it up simply, it would be to say, no one is a Christian who does not rest on the shoulders of Christ. See, this is what Isaiah tells us. And this means for us saying, I believe that he has paid everything for me. That my sins and my, and, and, and my death are upon the cross. All of it. I rest. He carries. See, God further gives this reminder even later in Isaiah. Chapter 22, verse 22. When he says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. See, it's an incredible thing that the saving and sending work is not only placed on the Savior, Jesus Christ, but it is also forever secure in him. And so Isaiah reminds us here that the Savior's incredible authority and the way that he will rule is according to God's ways. And then Isaiah tells us of his character. And this is quite interesting because most babies have just one name on their birth announcement. I think we would probably be confused if we met a child that had been given four distinct names. But Isaiah announces the birth of this child with four names. In verse 6, he says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, one name wasn't sufficient to describe this special child. And also, these names tell us what the baby will do. That they speak of his character and his achievements. And, and so, in a sense, with these names, there's, there's also character and achievements laid out. I mean, imagine reading a birth announcement that says, uh, born to this family, this child, excellent guitarist, marathon runner, future CEO of major corporation one day. Birth announcements don't list those accomplishments. Why? They're not there to list. They've done nothing yet. 
uh, more we would probably list what's to come of filling diapers and drooling and thumb sucking. There's not much to account in this child. But what does that tell us? It's that this baby is different. This is the Savior of the world. It is God in the flesh who has come to dwell among us and make a way for us to become forgiven and set free from sin. And so here in the text, Isaiah tells us, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so briefly, and I mean very briefly, let's look at these names. Because in them are many beautiful truths. In fact, if you have a King James Bible, you may notice that it separates the names Wonderful and Counselor as two distinct names. And in this, many of the Puritans preferred to refer to this because it showed that even before we describe anything else about the Savior, He is wonderful. We see that He is wonderful. Even before we learn about the depth and the worth of Christ's attributes, we find that He is simply wonderful. And so really tonight, friends, this should cause us to see all the more how powerful it really is to truly zero in on these characteristics. And so take note that first, he is called Wonderful Counselor. See, the meaning of this title might even seem odd to us in the modern sense, because a counselor in this case involves a, a, a master of divine wisdom and teaching. And wonderful might be more accurately translated as miraculous because it's typically described about God's mighty work, God's mighty character. So he will be a wonderful counselor, truly wise and wonderful. And so that means he's different from any other human counselor. And then secondly is the name Mighty God. He is God Almighty, God the warrior, the almighty God in the flesh. And so here Isaiah is giving testimony to the divinity of the Messiah. He doesn't back down. He doesn't say that the child will be like the mighty God. He says that the child will be called mighty God. And the New Testament repeats this well. In fact, this is why John will open his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he, he's not like God, not just with God, not similar to God, appearing somewhat like God, but God himself in the flesh. So the infant is incarnate. He is almighty, and he is mighty to save. He is mighty to defeat his enemies, our enemies, and he is mighty forever. He is God revealed. And then look at the third name, everlasting father. See, this really indicates that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children that his reign will know no end, and he will reign forever. In fact, Calvin noted that the name Father is used to mean author, 
Because Jesus is the author. He is the founder. He is the perfecter of our faith. And he adopts us into the eternal family of God. And so note that he is everlasting father. He is forever the father of his children. And they are never lost. And so this is another important fact about our Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the father of eternity. That he reflects the very nature of God. That he is immortal, invisible. He is eternal. He is God Almighty, the creator of all things and all source of life. That he has all the attributes of God. This is why Colossians 2 tells us, for in him the full The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why Philippians 2.6 says he has the very nature of God. And why in John 30, Jesus said himself, I and the Father are one. He says again later in John 14.9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so this reveals the truth of Christ. This reveals the eternality of our Lord Jesus Christ. That his reign will know no end. He will reign forever because he is everlasting. And so understand this very important truth tonight. Because we tend to come and gather around little baby Jesus. We tend to think of little innocent baby Jesus tonight and then later we'll do our eschatology series and when we get to Romans 19, we think of ferocious Jesus returning. But we should understand the true and right character of Jesus. Why did he come? Well, we have to remember that Christ is not the the gift that's placed beneath the tree. Christ is the eternal and wonderful gift that comes to die upon a tree. That's important. And as Isaiah reminds us, that is news that actually brings great hope and peace. And so lastly, we find that he is called Prince of Peace. He is the one who is going to bring peace for his people. And so what's the answer to the crisis his people are facing? Is it to wipe out the other people? Is it to restore their little kingdom? Is it to bring a a new king to conquer that one issue? I mean, even as we think tonight, if we were to think rightly of ourselves, what is the answer to all of our life's concerns and needs? See, the answer is a child who is born and is the prince of peace. This is what Jesus tells his disciples about himself and what he leaves to his disciples in John 14. Verse 27, he tells them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so consider tonight, dear friends, what we have in the names and in the work and in the character of Jesus Christ our Lord. That he alone is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace who has come and will come again. So have you trusted in him as your Savior? 
Have you trusted in him alone? And if not, dear friend, then let me tell you, call upon him. Go to him. Trust in him alone for your salvation. There's nothing greater you can do on Christmas Eve. He is the answer and he alone to our greatest need. And so remember, he did not just come as cute little baby Jesus to lie in a manger. No, in fact, he came as an innocent child, truly innocent, to then grow and go to a cross where he will bear all the weight and burden of sin, where he will be hung up on a cross as the greatest sinner and rebel of God all for us. So just as Isaiah prophesies that the child is born to us, for us, he also remembers in Isaiah 53 that he is the suffering servant, that he does all of this for us. Because there upon the cross, as the promise is given and the work is completed, friends, for those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they are saved. And they can say, thank you, Lord, that this child has been born unto us. That this son is given to us. They can say that with the rest of God's people. See, if you do not understand these things, you cannot also say you understand that the child is given for us. As we reflected tonight. Where we began at our time. You cannot go from there if you do not understand these things of the cross. And so tonight, as we go to light our candles together, as we go to spend a little more time together singing and reflecting, remember that Christ is the greatest light that has come. And so let me ask you, does the, the light show only in the wax and the wick tonight? Or does the light that reflects, has it overwhelmed and overcome the darkness in your very heart? In fact, can you say, as the prophet Isaiah mentions earlier in verse 2, I have walked in darkness, but now I have seen a great light. Let's pray together.